Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church and we get excited when we open them up. So if you've got your Bibles, get ready. Open them to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Woo! Love it. Deuteronomy 31. We'll start at verse 1. Thank you for... Our worship team today, what an incredible job leading us into worship. Thankful for Porter and baptized into the newness of life. Ooh, Jesus. Sermon notes are available on the YouVersion Bible app. Note takers are world changers. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31, starting with verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel and said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations. Underline that. You're going to need that. He will destroy those three words. He will destroy these nations from before you and you shall dispossess. Underline those three words. You shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, before you, just as the Lord has said, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you. Who will give them over to you? The Lord will, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Here's verse 6. In light of all of that, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, where's the emphasis on the Lord your God? He is the one. Say, he's the one. He is the one. He's the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, or he said it to Israel, now he's turning to Joshua and says to him specifically, be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it, inherit it, inherit it. Mm. Let me read that one more time. Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. There's a distinction between what's given and what's inherited. And the Lord, he is the one, say he's the one. He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Let me pray real quickly. Lord Jesus, I just pray for the word to be alive with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, it not be about performance or anything that man can do, but Lord, I pray spiritual anointing that will bring revelation truth. We bind every strategy of the devil to try and hinder, steal, kill, and destroy, but I thank you for life and life more abundantly through your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 31, or sorry, verse 31, chapter 31, verse 3. This is Moses' farewell presentation to Israel. He's talking to Israel, says, hey, I, I've reached not only triple digits, but I've reached 120. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many people want to make it to 120, but if you can make it there, the, well, let's just move on. He made it to 120. <laughs> He made it to 120 and he said, uh, but the Lord, God, he said, I'm, I'm not going to cross over with you. I'm not crossing over this Jordan. And he's telling that Joshua is going to lead them as they go into the promised land. And he says, this is a crossing over. This is a point where they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. 
And so when we talk about a crossing over, a crossing over represents a transition. It's a time of moving from one place to another. I think it's appropriate to talk about on the starting of a new year, we're talking about times of transition, but we all know that transitions happen all the time. We go through transitions sometimes on a daily basis. We go through seasons and times where this is happening, this is not happening, this is great, this is terrible. We go through all kinds of transitions. And I believe if, if we will handle transitions well, then we're going to see a lot more success. The reasons we struggle sometimes is we get stuck trying to transition and we can't get out of where we are currently to where we think he wants us in the future. Does anybody understand and relate with me? Anybody ever got stuck in a spot, stuck in a feeling, stuck in a circumstance, stuck in an emotion, stuck in a place that I just can't get out of, stuck in a funk? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody ever been in a funk where you're just like, I just can't get out. I feel like I'm stuck in the mud. This is what God's talking about. I want to help you transition and cross over. The word cross over means to pass or cross over something, to travel through. So it says right here in verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you or in front of you or ahead of you. Here's the encouraging thing. Wherever God is taking us, here's what we need to remember, God is going before us. I don't know where God's leading you. I don't know where he's taking you. I know what, don't know what's in front of you, but I do know this. Wherever he's sending you, wherever you're going, he's going first. No matter what we're facing, when we face a difficult situation, when we face a, a tragedy in our life or a struggle in our life, and we find ourselves in a place where it's not good, we need to know that God was there first, waiting on us, preparing us so that when we got there, he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will be with you, I am a very present help in time of trouble. So wherever I'm going, I need to be encouraged that God's going before me. That I don't know what's ahead, I don't know what's coming, but he does. I don't know who I'm going to marry, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, I don't know what college I'm going to go to, I don't know what job I'm going to take, but he does. Wherever I'm going, he's there first. He's not kicking us along saying, hey, good luck to you, hope it works out. He goes before us, making a way for us. That's why we need to follow his lead. Because he can go before us in the direction he wants me to go, and I can decide that I know better, and I start going a different direction, and he's before me where he wants me, and I end up where he doesn't want me. Anybody ever made that decision besides me? So he says, the Lord himself goes before you. He will destroy those nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you. So he said, the Lord God himself is going before you, and Joshua himself is going before you. So I want to talk about Joshua for just a moment. I love the story of Joshua. I, I really relate and connect with Joshua. I love the whole story about crossing over the Jordan and, and taking armies and, and taking cities and all that military fight stuff gets my gears going. I get pumped up thinking about it because I make the connection to the spiritual warfare and this is what God's called us to do is to possess the land and drive out the enemy and all that. So I love Joshua. But the word Joshua is so important. Here's the, the word Joshua in the Hebrew. It is Yehoshua. Yehoshua. It's made up of two names in the Hebrew. The first one is Yehovah. Does that sound familiar? 
Yehovah is the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And it means the eternal self-existing one. It's the Jewish national name for God. So Joshua's name, part of it is Yehovah or Jehovah, Yahweh. The second part of his name is Yasha. And it means to be safe, free, defend, deliver, help, preserve, rescue, be safe, bring salvation, or get victory. So you put that together, Yehoshua means the eternal existing one, uh, eternal self-existing one, God, who brings deliverance, who rescues, who saves, who brings victory. That's what Joshua represents. So Joshua in the Old Testament, Yehoshua is the Yeshua or Jesus in the New Testament. So what we're looking at in Deuteronomy 31 is a picture for us that what God's doing through Joshua for the children of Israel is what Yeshua, Jesus, did for us in the New Testament. So how Joshua leads these people into victory over the enemy is the way Yeshua went before us and brought us the victory that we couldn't get for ourselves. Joshua went before them, the Bible says, Yeshua goes before us. Jesus went before us. So it says that he will destroy. Look in verse 3. It says, God goes and crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations. He will destroy these nations from before you. So who's going to destroy the nations? God is. Here's what it means to destroy the nations. It means to exterminate, to decimate, desolate, overthrow, destroy completely, or damage beyond repair. Can't be fixed. Can't be undone. He said, this is what I'm going to do to the nations. Here's what we got to apply. Physical application in the Old Testament, spiritual application in the New Testament. We're not going to cities and conquering people and saying we're doing it in the name of Yehovah. That's Old Testament. Now we, we, are, we wrestle against spiritual enemies, not physical enemies. Ephesians tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So your neighbor, your friend, your enemy in the flesh, they're not your true enemy. They're not your real enemy. I know it may seem like they're, they're hating on you and they're really treating you bad and all that, but your enemy is outside of them. We'll explain that in a moment. But it says he will, God will destroy your enemies. How does that apply New Testament? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. All right, now the Son of God was manifested. What was the purpose? This is important to know. Oh, yes. For this purpose, Jesus came, that he might do what? What's that word? Destroy. Destroy the works of the devil. What does destroy mean? In the Greek, this word means to loosen, untie, set free what is fastened or bound is the first part. There's two parts to destroying. I love this two parts. This is why we study the word of God. The first part is to loosen, untie, or set free. Then the second part is to break up, destroy, dissolve, remove, or eliminate. Mm. So the first part is he destroys the works of the devil. He loosens, unties, and unbinds us 
from the works of the devil. And then he breaks up, destroys, and eliminates them from being able to hold us ever again. When he came to destroy the works of the devil, he didn't say, I'm going to set you free one day, and then the rest of it you're on your own. He came to destroy the works of the devil, to set us free. Man, that's why he came. Say, I'm free in Jesus' name. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. This is talking about Jesus. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Well, if, if Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, what does that mean? Here's the word. It means to strip away, to disrobe, or unclothe. That's the way that Greek word would be used in literal terms. To strip away, disrobe, or unclothe. But in the figurative sense, in the spiritual sense, what Jesus was doing in this word, he was saying it's literally to strip away all of the weapons. To remove all the weapons and render harmless. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. I'm not saying, well, I think the devil's harmless. Jesus said, I have disarmed him. I've rendered him harmless. I've stripped him of his weapons. That's what the Bible says. So now go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Here's the part I want to focus on. He said, Joshua goes before you, and God himself will destroy your enemies. New Testament Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil and disarm principalities and powers. So God has gone before us and done to the devil, to the enemy, what we could not do for ourselves. So here's what we have to do. We have to rightly understand what Jesus did and the current state of our enemy because of it. If we're going to be successful in spiritual battles, because again, we get caught up in Facebook wars. I see people sometimes and I'm like, hey, keyboard warrior, back away. Stop. Stop getting tangled up in things just because, let me just stop there. Yeah, I'm going to get a rabbit trail there that I won't come out of. But we need to understand we wrestle spiritually, spiritual battle. And so if I understand what Jesus did, when Jesus came and he was crucified on this cross and he was buried for three days and then resurrected, then we have to understand that what he did on that cross was he destroyed. When he resurrected from the dead, when he rose from the dead, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now all the power of the enemy was destroyed. He said, those who believe in me will have life because he is the resurrection and the life. So he destroyed the work of the devil. If Jesus went before us and did that, then now how does that apply to us? Look at this in verse 3. The Lord God himself crossed over before you. He will destroy the enemy. Jesus will do that. Joshua, Yeshua, Yehovah, Yeshua himself crosses over before you. We see the New Testament application. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. So now look what's left after Jesus does his part. He will destroy the nations, the enemy. That is God's part. The cross was God's part, not ours. We couldn't do it. 
We're not perfect. He was the lamb without spot, without blemish. He's the only one that can destroy the works of the enemy for mankind. It's about Jesus. Jesus does his part. Then look what he says. He will destroy the nation from before you, and you, you shall dispossess them. All right, now we need, whenever God tells me it's your responsibility for this part, it's important for you to know what that is. Like if he said, I'm going to destroy the nations, and you're going to dispossess them. Well, I kind of need to know what dispossess means. Like, what am I supposed to do? Because what's taught a lot in churchianity and religion is that God's part is all of it, and we have no responsibilities whatsoever. So I just walk around doing whatever I think I ought to do, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And God's in ultimate control, and so whatever God wants is what's going to happen. But he says here, I'm going to destroy the nations, but then you've got to dispossess them. i got to dispossess them. i got to do what? I don't even know what that word means. Go to the Hebrew. It's the word yarash. And it means to take possession of. Mm. To occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. To inherit, remember I said there's a difference in something that's given to you and something you inherit. To, something can be provided and not inherited. Somebody can say, I'm leaving this for you, but I not take it. If it's in the will, doesn't mean I show up to get it for myself. Just because I leave it in my will, the kids, they may never show up for the reading of the will. They may never show up to take possession of it. They just said, who cares? I, don't, I didn't think my dad's going to leave me anything. They don't come, and they don't know that I've left an inheritance for them. All they had to do is show up and possess it. Amen. This is what he's talking about. You, you, you inherit something. You drive out. You expel. You put out of occupancy. When he says, I will destroy the nations, but you take possession of it. You occupy what I've given you by driving out the current tenants and possessing in their place. I'm going to destroy the enemy for you. I'm going to destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to disarm principality and power, but you occupy in his place, drive him out, drive him out of the promised land, drive out the previous tenants, and I want you to set up shop, and I want you to dwell in his place. Are you getting it? Spiritual application. They're talking about cities, right? They're talking about cities and towns and like, okay, so I got to go into the city, and I got to move in, I got to get them out. See, these people were still in the cities when Jesus said, I've given you the city. Let me say it again. These people were still living there. When Jesus said, it's yours, he said, hey, I've given you that city. We like to think in our ideology that they will leave and then we can move in. Do you guys know that God's given us Jericho? We just go ahead. You guys leave so we can move in. And we don't move in until they leave. That's not what he said. He said, I've given you Jericho. You dispossess Jericho. What do I got to do? I got to drive them out by occupying in their place. So even if they don't know they're supposed to go, even if they haven't got the revelation yet, 
God spoken to me and said, you have to go. So I'm just doing what God said. I'm not doing what I said. So New Testament application for us. The enemy is going to continue to try and rob us and steal us and limit us. And just because he's got occupancy in our life doesn't mean we just sit back until he goes. We drive him out and occupy in his place. Just because something's there doesn't mean it has a right to stay. Just because fear is in my life doesn't mean I can't drive it out and occupy in its place with the boldness and the love of God. Just because anxiety and worry and stress is in my life doesn't mean I can't drive it out. Too many times we're waiting for things to leave before we determine whether we're free or not. We get, we get, just because I feel, and I'm, I'm just as bad as anybody else, I struggle with this part, and that's why God's speaking to me. So this is God's sermon to me, and you're getting the overflow. But God's saying, Chad, I need you to have more courage because you're waiting to feel too much and you're allowing your feelings to determine your spiritual reality. That just because the presence of a feeling does not mean the presence of my identity for you. So just because there's a presence, I just feel discouraged, I just feel down, I feel upset. He's like, that's great, drive it out. Well, I can't drive it out, I feel this way. He said, I'm not saying you don't feel this way. I'm telling you to do something about it. I've destroyed the enemy that's trying to bring you down. Now drive him out. Occupy in his place. Well, how do I drive him out, God? What am I supposed to do? I can't overcome these feelings. There's feelings real. He says, you drive them out with my word, with what I have said about you. And you say, wait a minute. All right, discouragement, depression. I'm going to drive you out with the joy of the Lord. I'm going to drive you out with the hope of God. I'm not waiting on feelings to tell me. I'm waiting on what the word of the Lord says to me. So I just, Lord, I thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. I thank you for joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I inhabit my life with this, and I drive out discouragement. I drive out depression, not with feelings, but with the word of God. Discouragement and disappointment and depression may not know it's supposed to go. Because its experience is it doesn't leave until someone drives it out. Because the devil knows what he's been stripped of. He's just hoping we don't know. The devil knows how he's been destroyed. He knows how his works have been destroyed. His only tool, his only weapon is to deceive you and me into believing that he's still who he used to be. But because of Jesus, because of the cross, he is destroyed, he's disarmed, and now I have a right to inherit what Jesus died to give me. It's ours for the taking. But I can still leave it there, and I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about myself. I can still go over in a corner and have a pity party and say, man, I just wish those people would leave. I wish depression would leave. I wish discouragement would leave. I wish worry would leave and anxiety would leave and all those enemies, I wish they would leave. But they're not going to leave until I drive them out. They're not going to leave until I say, wait a minute. I've got an inheritance. And my inheritance is not living like this. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about inheritance that has no problems. I'm talking about inheritance that drives through problems and continues to press in. Because here's what's happening. He's given them a promised land, but what we've thought too many times is just like it's a a geographical place. And I was thinking about this the other morning. God woke me up and he said, I want want to talk to you about the promised land. And I said, okay. And he said, "Uh, uh, you've got a wrong, wrong image of the promised land. 
I'm like, okay, sorry about that. Uh, what do I need to do? <laughs> he said, you're still attached too much to your promised land being an achievement, an accomplishment, or an event. You're still too attached that your promised land is something outside of you that's going to happen to bring fulfillment into your life. When this changes, that changes, this changes. When this turns around, when that's not there anymore, when I get victory over this situation, then I'm going to be... He says, stop thinking that it's an accomplishment, an achievement, a promotion, a house, a car. It's not a certain amount of dollars per year, a certain amount of dollars per hour. This is not your promised land. The promised land for us... What God intended the promised land for them to be in the Old Testament was not just, here's your land, go in there and live, I'll be up in heaven, and uh, you just have a good time, live your life, and I'll see you when you get to heaven. That was not what he intended. His intention was for them to come into the promised land, for him to be their God, them to be his people, and to be in fellowship and communion with him every day. So the promised land for them was communion and fellowship with God. What's our promised land? The same. Our promised land is communion and fellowship with God. Our promised land is he predestined us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So now what he was telling me, Chad, I need you to understand that you're looking at events and markers like these things that are happening in life, uh, getting up to something and up there, up there somewhere is your promised land. He said, I'm wanting to develop my son in you. I'm wanting you to become like my son. That's your promised land. When you begin to dwell in communion and fellowship with me and become like my son, that's your promised land. My promised land, I told this to our team, success is never something that should be measured external. Success in your life should not be something that's measured external. Well, when I do this, when I get there, when I make this, no. Success success in God's kingdom is about who we become internally, not what we do externally. Yeah, we, I used to say when we had three, I started talking about multiple locations back when we had three services and no, but one location. People thought I was crazy. Well, now I said we are one church with three services, but pretty soon we're going to be one church in three locations. I said that for years. And then now, what are we? We're one church in three locations. we got two other watch parties that want to be locations. But I'm telling you, our success is not in locations. Our success, we can have 50 campuses and not be in fellowship and communion with God and have no success. Our success is who we become. When we become like Jesus, when we're making disciples to be like Jesus, that is success to God. It's not about our name. It's not about trying to make, make our name trending or, or to franchise our name. We're trying to franchise the kingdom of God through the name of Jesus. So when we're looking at our promised land, we need to understand the importance of knowing how we have to dispossess. So now my promised land is becoming like Jesus. So now my enemies are things, those two enemies. I'm going to focus on real quick. Flesh. Your natural human flesh is one of your enemies. Your second one is your adversary, the devil, and his kingdom. Flesh and the kingdom of darkness, those are your enemies. None of those have a first name of the person you're thinking of right now. People are not our enemy. People are not our enemy. When we're disposing, disposing, dispossessing, putting out of occupancy... Here's how we've got to do it. Uh, let me read a little bit of this. This is what the Lord spoke to my heart. 
In the context of this story in the Old Testament, God had promised them an area or territory where they could live, a place where he could be their God and they could be his people, a place where they could worship him and he could have constant relationship with them. In this pursuit, they had real-life enemies that were trying to prevent them from possessing this promised land, trying to prevent them from coming into this place of fellowship and communion with God. We, too, nowadays have that same enemy trying to prevent us from coming into this place of fellowship and communion with God. It's still the case today. So what is our promised land? It's not a geographical territory. It's not a title, achievement, accomplishment, an event. If we never clearly define the goal, then we will continue to wander around trying to get fulfillment from things that can never provide us with fulfillment. We're looking for things to give us identity and value, and they only come through Jesus. Well, you know, will God help me fulfill my dreams? Will God help me fulfill my destiny? It's not about our dreams. It's not about our destiny. It's about becoming like Jesus. People will try and use the gospel, and they will try and use God to get where they want to go. How do I know that? Because I've done it. But God is not wanting us to use him as a step stool to our own idolatry. He's not wanting us to use him as a means to the end, and the end is our success. That's not the end. The end is being like Jesus. The end is being conformed into the image of the Son. And so here's what I'm asking. What if our promised land was not a destination or a place we're trying to be successful? What if our promised land was not marrying the perfect person or getting the perfect job or buying the perfect house, buying the perfect car, making the perfect salary per year? What if it wasn't any certain accomplishment or achievement? What if our promised land was more along the lines of who we become and how we become? Now it looks differently in how we handle our enemy. Now it looks different in what I do with my life. If our promised land is becoming like Jesus and dwelling in relationship with God, how would I adjust my my life towards accomplishing this goal? And how would I view the enemies of this? Our enemies are truly not external flesh and blood, but they are internal fleshly desires and adversaries of the devil. We can know this theoretically or conceptually, but not spiritually. Here's what I want to say to you. He said, I'm going to destroy the works of the enemy, but you've got to dispossess them. So here's what God was telling me through this. He's like, okay, Chad, so you need to realize that your promised land is not something outside of you, but it's in you. And there are enemies, flesh and kingdom of darkness, that are trying to prevent you from walking in your promised land, which is fellowship with God and being in the conformity of Jesus. So this is important for us to tell our young people. Your, your goal, your win in life is not to uh, go to college and get a great job. That's the world's definition of success. The kingdom definition of success is for you to fall in love with Jesus and become like him. I know, but, but then what? That's it. Now in that, he will have all kinds of things for you to do. In that, he will give you all kinds of purpose. In that, he will bring all kinds of things in your life. But being like him, that is the fullness of our purpose. So now in that, if I understand that principle, then I know when things come against me, enemies come in my life, I have to drive them out. I have to dispossess them. So now when I'm trying to walk in the freedom that God's given me, he's loose me, he's untied me, and the enemy comes in and he tries to bring, uh, Julie brought up a great uh, point during praise and worship. The enemy will use unforgiveness to tie us back up and bind us. And prevent us from crossing over 
into being what Jesus wants us to be. We have to, if unforgiveness gets a place, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, where is it? Here it is. says, nor give place to the devil. You know the word place means there in the Greek? Place. I'll expound on it for you a little bit. It means a spot in space, a location, an opportunity to function or perform. Don't give him a spot. Give no place to the enemy. Don't give him a spot to function and perform. How do I do that? When someone does something and I uh, get mad about it, I get discouraged about it, I get offended about it, whatever, you just get upset. And I hold a grudge on that. Now I give him a place in my heart. And once he gets a place in my heart, now he wants to try and spread and he's trying to rob me of my communion and fellowship with God. He's trying to keep me from getting and possessing my promised land. So now when he's there, I have to drive him out or dispossess him. Am I getting too loud? Just getting excited about it. I'll talk a little softer tone. But here's what I'm feeling. Like when something happens to me and I get mad or I get frustrated and it causes me to want to walk away from God or, or get discouraged about God, i got to realize that's the enemy trying to rob me of my inheritance. So when I walk around and I feel this way, I feel discouraged, I feel afraid, I feel disappointed, whatever, I feel mad, I feel unforgiveness, what do I have to do? I've got unforgiveness. I've got bitterness. I've got uh, dis- whatever it may be. I'm just going to use unforgiveness because Julie pointed that out, so I'm going to use that. I've got unforgiveness. I can say, well, I've got a right to be mad. I've got a right to be upset because of what they did. What am I doing? I'm giving them place. Not those people, because I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm giving the enemy place. I'm giving him a spot. Just a little spot. Because the rest of it, I praise the Lord. I glory to God. Glory to God. Everything's wonderful. Praise you, Jesus. I got a little spot, but I just ignore them, and then I can still do all of this. I can ignore that, and I can just go on living my life and be free, and and that's no big deal. I just won't ever be around them. But I've given the enemy a spot. What does he love to do from that spot? He loves to launch strikes out of that spot. And all of a sudden, once he's got a spot, an opportunity to function, a place, then now he starts to send warfare out a little bit at a time from his stronghold. Oh boy, 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 this is. So you have to drive him out of that place. What's going to drive the enemy out of that place, which is unforgiveness over a certain issue to a certain person? The only thing that's going to drive them out is love for that person. I've got to forgive them, and then I've got to love them. Because here's what we'll say. Well, I forgive them. I just never want to talk to them again. I forgive them, but as long as I don't have to see them again, I'm fine. That's their problem. I'm fine. I'm fine. I've forgiven them. I'm, and we, we blind ourselves to the fact that we gave him a place. And he says, I'm going to destroy the works of the devil, but you have to dispossess them. And God's telling me, Chad, I need you to dispossess some things in 2024 that you've given a spot to. 
You give it a place to. It's not a big, you didn't give it a, you didn't start out saying, I want the devil to live in me. I didn't say that. I didn't write that song. But when I agree, here's what we got to know. We got to know. When I agree with the lie, I give him a place. When I agree with what the devil says about something, it's like sending him an invitation. Say, come over to my house and move in. How did Adam and Eve fall? How did they get in trouble? Where did they get tripped up? Where did they get tripped up? Where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Was it when the enemy said, has God really said? And so the enemy told them the opposite of what God said. And what did they do? They've got what God said, and they've got what the enemy said. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, what the enemy said looks really good. It sounds good. It sounds appealing. So they chose and agreed with the word of the enemy, and it cost them their life. They gave him a place. They gave him spot to function. So this is what God's telling us. If I'm going to drive something out, I've got to drive it out with what God says about my situation and not wait for it to leave. I'm waiting too often to feel free before I occupy freedom. Pray for me. I've got issues in my life. But there's too many times I'm waiting to feel permission to be and inherit what God said go get. He's like, I destroyed the works of the devil. I know, but I just feel the, the enemy's oppressing me. He said, I know, but you're free from that. If I'm free from that, how come it's happening? Because he's lying to you. I don't know how to explain it. It's a real lie, but it's still a lie. Am I, am I, is this working for you? It's like, what happened? how do I get in bondage? I get in bondage because I believe what his suggestions are instead of believing what God says. And I say, well, you know, everybody, everybody else feels like this too. And, and, I get, and you get people that come up and they want to tell you how it's okay to be in bondage. They don't say that. They don't say, hey, it's okay to be in bondage. Just go ahead. What they do, oh, boy, help me to say this the right way, Lord. What they do too many times is they, they try to be, yeah, they try to be nice. They have good intentions, I think. But when someone's not giving me the word, if I'm in bondage to sin, please don't come up and tell me, it's okay, Chad. Everybody struggles with that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear, how do I get free? How do I apply? How do I dispossess this feeling that has come over me that I gave it a place, now he's launched out strikes from there, and now he's taken ground, he's advanced, because when I don't, I don't forgive one person, then all of a sudden he takes a little more ground, takes a little more ground, takes a little more ground, and now he's got a whole stronghold. So how do we dispossess, guys? How do we dispossess? One way we dispossess is by knowing what we have a right to possess. You know, you know the biggest struggle for Christianities, Christianities. <laughs> Sharp. Do you know some of the biggest struggles for Christians? And, and I, oh, I know what I was doing. Sometimes I figure out how my brain's working. I was trying to put churchianity and Christianity together. Yeah, never mind. 
what I found in my life, or I'll just say what God's told me. That's, that's better. Yeah, let's put it on me. Biblical illiteracy. Because we just don't know. We don't know we have the option. We don't know we have the option to dispossess. We don't even know we're supposed to. We're just thinking, hey, you know, that's where I am, and uh, God, take this from me. When he said, I'll destroy them, you dispossess them, that doesn't sound like something where we're not having any responsibility. It sounds like I have a part to play. And he said, Chad, some of the struggle you have is you don't know what I've already given to you. And you don't know that you have a right to experience freedom because you're looking around, measuring your freedom against other people's instead of measuring your freedom against my word. So this is what takes courage to dispossess because we get a, what was the word dispossess? Let me give you the definition again. Oh, it's a great definition. Where is it? Where is it? It's there somewhere. We got it on the screen. No. Take possession of, occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. God said there's some people that need to dispossess some things in 2024, of which I am one. He said, Chad, there's some things I want you to dispossess. I'm like, Lord, what are you, how, are you, how are you going to give me the victory? He's like, I already have. I already have. That's the problem. You don't know it. You don't know it. You've already got victory. The devil knows it, but he's hoping you don't know it. And he's hoping a church, big C, not ours, including ours, I should say that. He wants the big church. He's hoping that the big church will not get the revelation that he's destroyed and been disarmed. Because if we don't get that revelation, I tell you, oh, man, the devil, he's, he's kicking my tail today. He's tough. That devil's tough. I don't know. I mean, once the devil gets on your back, you, just, you know how he is. Right? We're exalting the power of the devil that Jesus says he's destroyed and disarmed. I'm not making light of difficulties and strategy. We're going to have them. But in the midst of them, now I look at those things from a different lens. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, so this tragedy that comes in my life, this disappointment that comes in my life uh, uh, happened not long ago. So I got disappointed. I got discouraged about something. And so I, I allowed, I gave the devil place in my heart through discouragement. I was disappointed. I felt disappointed. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I let it live with me for a while. I asked it to move in. I didn't say, disappointment, move with me. I didn't say that. But when I believed the lie, when I believed what he said, he got a place. So I wondered why I was struggling. Why am I down? Why am I just not feeling the joy of the Lord? Why am, why am I getting, why am I, why am I, why am I, why am I? You got something you need to dispossess. You, you gave somebody a residence I want you to drive out. Lord, how do I drive him out? I'm still stuck in this feeling. He's like, I want you to drive it out with the courage to believe what I say over what you feel. It's hard. It's hard, guys. It's hard because we feel what we feel. And we're stuck in what we feel. 
And we're like, I can't get past it. We say that out of our mouth. I can't get past it. And Jesus said, but I've destroyed the works of the devil before you. I've disarmed you. All I have to have you to do is you need to show up and submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.